I wonder what you do when you come to the end of your rope. When you're a person, you feel like you're out of options. Uh, what's your, what's your, your go-to move at that point when you feel like you've done the things that you can do? Many of you are a business people or your business owner. When you feel like the business is out of options, what are, what are the steps that you take and how are they maybe different from what you do as uh, in, in your personal life when you feel like you're uh, out of options? And then I think about churches and what do churches do when they feel like they are running out of options when a church finds itself in a spot that's unexpected how should a church respond and i want to look at a group of people today that find themselves in a spot like that just just an unexpected not a place they thought they would be and talk a little bit about how they Responded. We're in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 36. We're going to start in verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we pray as we look at this text today that you would help us to be people who are wholly dependent on you. I pray, Lord, that you would move in our midst and that you would challenge our faith and that you would grow us and pray that you would help us, Lord, to hear from you this day. I pray that you would uh, be at work. Lord, help me to decrease that you might increase in this hour. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we have the, the stage set, really, in these first two verses. We meet this believer, Tabitha, who is a lady full of good works and acts of charity, the Scripture tells us and she lived out her faith in a way in such a way that it's evident to the whole community that's around her it's, it's inspirational to the believers that are around her but does that mean that life is fair no in reality we see life is not fair in the sense that sometimes we think about it and and, and so uh, the first thing i really want to highlight for us is this that being a christian does not protect you from difficulties in Life, being a Christian, does not protect you from difficulties in life. If we look at verse 37, even though uh, Tabitha or Dorcas had done all these great works in the community, it says in those days she became ill and she died. She became ill and she died. Uh, I find it really sad that there are a number of places, right? They claim to be churches that are around, and they would like to typically preach a doctrine that tells people that because you're a child of the king, you are not going to have bad things happen to you. You're a child of the king, right? We, we, I understand that better 
now living here than I did living in Kentucky because we don't have a king in Kentucky. But I know in Johor there's a sultan. And when the sultan comes through or when TMJ comes through, I have to get out of the way. It doesn't matter what the red light says. I have to wait because the king is coming through. He gets, he gets to get on the other side of the bridge and bypass the, uh, bypass the jam going into Singapore. Any of these different kinds of things. And sometimes people say you're a child of the king as a princess or a prince. You can expect that only good things are going to happen to you. You're one of God's chosen people. And so he's always going to ensure that you'll be healthy and that you'll have plenty of money. But in this text, we see something different. We see Tabitha, an exceptional enough believer in her community that all these people would gather around. She got sick and she died. Then in verse, the middle of verse 37, I want you to see what they uh, did do as a church, what they did do and then what they didn't do, what they did do and what they didn't do. She became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. And so I've been asking myself all week long, why did they send for Peter when she had died? They did something and they didn't do something. What they did, they got her body and they washed it and prepared it for burial. But what they didn't do was bury her. Instead, they got her all ready and then put her in an upper room and called for Peter. They said, go get him and see if he'll come back with you. They didn't bury her. They sent for Peter. And I just spent over and over this week, I'm just reading it, reading it, reading it, thinking, why did they send for Peter when she was dead? It's not like they needed a pastor to come perform some sort of funeral. And really the best answer that I can come up with is that they know that Peter had been around resurrections before. If we go even just back a few verses in this chapter, Peter had uh, left Jerusalem. He goes to uh, Lydda. When he gets to the church at Lydda, he meets a man who has been bedridden for eight years. And Peter says, get up. And he gets up. And this story gets told all around the entire area. That's what we see in verse 35. All the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. They saw this man. He was healed. They turned to the Lord, and the story gets around, even out to the coast where Joppa is. And I think, I think the believers in Joppa called for Peter because they expected Peter to come and raise her from the dead. I think that's what they actually thought. And so what do churches do when times are desperate? I think when, when they have times of need, churches should be expecting the impossible, right? We, why do we do that? We, we expect the impossible because we serve a God who specializes in the impossible. Too often we're just settling for the normal course of life when we should be looking for something that's a bit different. We follow a Savior who was raised from the dead. And so we should be expecting things that are unexpected in this world. We, we expect that uh, we are now the body of Christ in the world. The church is the body of Christ. And so we, when we have a need, we should expect that God intends to meet that need so that his name might resound in the earth. I wonder if this is like an isolated uh, idea that the people in Joppa had. And I don't think so, right? If we go back to verse 39... So they came to him in verse 38. Please come to us without delay. Verse 39. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made 
while she was with them. I've been in ministry 20 years, and so I've, I've had plenty of opportunities for this to happen. When someone uh, passes away and they call and they say, would you come, right? You come in and you're with the family and there's just, you just never feel more helpless than in that situation. When you're at the hospital or when you're with a family member at the home and you're thinking, Lord, what, what can I do? How can I be any sort of help in this moment? And Peter shows up and they start talking about how great Tabitha was. Look, she made this for me, she made that for me, and she was always taking care of the poor, always helping people in the community. And I think it's amazing that Peter doesn't act like Jesus in John chapter 2. If you remember in John chapter 2, Jesus goes to a wedding, and at this wedding, uh, this is John chapter 2, and in verse 3, He's at the wedding with his disciples and all the people. And verse 3 says, when the, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus looks at his mother and says, what has that got to do with me? What has that got to do with me, right? I'm not in charge of wine at this wedding. What has that got to do with me? And so I think about Peter as he's called in to this, to this upper room and there's uh, the body of Tabitha laid out and they're weeping and they're talking about what a great believer she was and how helpful she was. And, and I find it amazing that Peter wasn't standing there thinking, what has all this got to do with me? Right? What, what can I do for you? Because I think that's the natural question. That if this is an isolated sort of thing that the believers here in Joppa are asking for something that's ridiculous, that Peter would say, what am I supposed to do about that? But he doesn't do that, does he? If we go back into Acts chapter 9, what we see is Peter instead, verse 40, it says, Peter put them all outside, and he knelt down, and he prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Right? Peter gets to this point and he uh, pushes the people out. Right, That's what we saw last week when Jesus he put everyone out except Peter, James, and John and the little girl's parents when he raised that girl from the dead. Peter pushes everybody out of the room and he really just prays. And I don't know what he prays exactly or how God answers him, what he knows specifically, but I, maybe it's got something to do with the fact of, Lord, this church needs this lady. This church needs its leadership. This church is too small. This church is too young. This is whatever he says. And God gives him some direction. And he, he tells her to get up. And she does. He, he saw that the church needed Tabitha. And he knew Jesus had the power to help. And so he asked God for what they needed. He asked God for the impossible. Then the last thing um, from this text. The last thing from this text is this. While this miracle was for the church, it was not confined to the church. Lots of times, especially in the Gospels, when we see miracles happen, it's a part of a, a, a Gospel witness, right? Uh, even early in Acts, they, they would, uh, Acts chapter 4, they, they heal a man. And then they say, why are you looking at us like we did something? This about Jesus. And they preach the Gospel and lots of people believe. But these two healings in Acts chapter 9 are done specifically for the church. It says he goes into the church in uh, Lydda, and there he sees An An Ananias, uh, or Aeneas. So there he sees Aeneas, and he says, 
uh, get up. And here he comes in among these believers. No one else is around. This is not an evangelistic time. And he tells Tabitha to get up. I think these, these miracles specifically were for these churches, not part of preaching the gospel. And while that's true, we see that this story then goes outside the church and starts to impact people in the community. You see it in verse 35. All the residents of Lydon Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. And in verse 42, and when it became known throughout all Joppa, many believed in the Lord. God intends for his church, he intends for his people to be shining out into the world. And he works in and through his church. And as he does that, as he works through people like us, then people that are outside the body see what's going on inside the body. And quite often they say, something's missing in my life. I need to, I need to experience what you're experiencing. The testimonies of people inside, people that are in Christ, speak to people who are apart from Christ. So, that causes us to ask, what am I supposed to do about that? I believe that Peter was there, I believe he raised her from the dead, so what am I supposed to do about that? I have really a couple of questions for you that I think might be helpful. Ask yourself this, will my ministry be missed by the church when I'm gone. That's the picture that we have of Tabitha. That they say, Lord, how are we supposed to continue without this lady? Right? Look what she did. She did this and she did this and she did this. And so the question that I keep asking myself, am I living a life of service and ministry so that when I leave, there will be a hole because I'm no longer physically present? And I don't just mean this church, right? I mean... In general, maybe, right? But someday I'm going to die. I don't know if you've thought about that, but someday I'm going to die. And when I die, right, then what sort of, will people miss what I brought to the church? Am I serving in that kind of way? And I would say this, even if we really narrow it down to our specific church, you are here because God's given you the opportunity to be here. I'm here because God gave me the opportunity to be here. And so the question is, once you're no longer here, are we going to miss you? And if the answer to that is no, then I would say, why not? Why not? You might say, well, I don't, I don't have a lot to offer, right? I'm not super talented. I don't play the guitar. And I don't know how to sing. And I don't have the money to buy donuts for everybody every week. Or whatever these kind of things you might say. But, but we've been really challenged in our experience in God's study. If you are a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you have a role to play in the church. There's something for you to do. You're supposed to be part of it. And when you don't do your part, then the body is missing something. If you can leave and no one misses you, I would say it's likely because you're not being obedient to the calling that you've received. I'm not trying to hammer on you. I'm just trying to say God's given you a gift. And so serve and use that gift. Here's the second thing I ask myself. When was the last time that I asked for something impossible? We just settle for less than we should too often, right? God's, God's kingdom is the opposite of the world. It's upside down from what the world should be like. That's what we see all through the, through the Gospels, that the church is the opposite of the world. But my conviction is too often my life looks exactly like the lives of everyone else in the world. If I'm part of a kingdom that's opposite, why do I look the same as everyone else? Shouldn't we be seeing people that are delivered from death to life? Shouldn't we expect people's marriages to be 
healed? Shouldn't we expect that relationships will be restored? Shouldn't we expect that lives will be transformed? We should be expecting those kinds of things. And sometimes I feel like I ask for too little because I want to protect God's reputation. Maybe you've fallen into that sometimes in your own life where you think, well, if I, if I ask for something huge and he doesn't give it to me, how's that going to, how's that going to look? Right? Maybe you've had the opportunity to go and pray for someone who's sick. You put your hand on and you said, I, I want to pray for you. And, and then when God didn't heal them, you thought, oh, I'm out. I make I make it look like maybe God doesn't care, maybe that he's not able. I prayed and tried to intervene and nothing happened. Is that a negative reflection on God's reputation? And so we end up not asking for things. We end up not praying for people to be healed. We end up not expecting a whole lot. Sometimes we're afraid to ask for something big because if we ask for something big and then we don't receive it, then we're afraid it will just tear our faith apart. Right? That I can't handle it. Because I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in a place where I, I don't ask for anything big and I don't get anything big. And, and I'm sort of kind of comfortable in that spot. Maybe that's it. When was the last time I, I asked for something impossible? Then this I want to say. A word of warning, right? It's the Lord who gets famous and not the preacher. This is what I love about these texts. These guys are you know, raising people from the dead and... Uh, and it says people heard it and they put their faith in the Lord, right? All those miracles in the New Testament, I think when we see people heard it and then they gave praise to the Father because these kind of things were happening in their midst. We see today, though, these rallies and preachers and they buy their own jets and they just write books and they make millions and millions of dollars and become famous. But what happens with Peter, right? If you ever pay attention to Acts as it opens up, Acts is Peter, 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 Peter. And then it gets to chapter 8, I think, and we learn about Paul, right? We hear a little bit about Paul, and then it goes back to Peter, and then we hear a little bit more about Paul, and then it goes back to Peter here in 9, and then in 10, it's Peter and Cornelius, and then in 11, Peter comes back and reports to the church. In the beginning of chapter 12, Peter gets arrested, and then he gets released from prison, miraculously, and then you hear Peter one more time in Acts, in chapter 15, when there's a big meeting. Paul comes to this big meeting. And after that, after Acts 15, half the book, we don't hear anything else about Peter. <laughs> because Peter is not the big deal. God is the big deal. What Jesus is doing is the big deal. And it's dangerous, I think, when we're in a place where we allow uh, Christians to become celebrities. I think it should be something that is very concerning to us. That we would say, oh, I can't speak to that person, right? Uh, or we just whatever it just it's just it's it's just off in my opinion the lord is the one who gets famous and not the preacher right we have a, just a tendency in our flesh to make idols out of people and so we have to be very cautious about uh, allowing preachers or prophets or healers or anyone else to become sort of a celebrity in our midst the church in joppa had this need and they called out to the lord for help and through Peter, he brings a resurrection into their church. I think he still wants to be providing for his body, right? We, we see that here. As we, we're always sending, and as we send, we're, always, we're never just saying, Lord, uh, bless these people and use them in a powerful way when they go to their next spot. We're saying, we need other people to take their place. Lord, if you would take them away, surely you're going to give us something better. 
because we know that you love us. And so we feel like if you're going to take uh, Mike or you're going to take Derek, or you're going to take Anthony, right? We can just fill it with names that many of you have never heard about. And we're going to leave in June. And when we come back in a year, many of you will be gone. You'll have moved on. Your contract will have ended and something will happen. And so as we send people out, we want to make sure that we're asking God to fill our needs for leaders and for workers and for people to be part of the body. Almost always that is accomplished by God not raising the dead. It's accomplished by God just giving us new people, right? He brings along somebody new. Peter gives way to Paul, who gives way to Timothy, who gave way to someone else. who gave, And that's gone on for 2,000 years. We lose someone and we pray and ask God for his best and he gives us what we need at that time. So we ask, are we contributing to the body in a way that will be missed? Am I contributing to the body in a way that will be missed? Are we asking God to do what only he can do in our midst? This is a big conviction I have about churches since we've been here. There's a lot of talk about what we're not allowed to do or what we're not able to do. We're asking God to do what only He can do. I'm not interested in what we can accomplish or what we're allowed to do. Are we asking God to do what only He can do in our midst? Are we just in this spot where we're kind of looking for other people to carry the load? We don't want to be that kind of person. We don't. We should be. We shouldn't want to be that kind of person in the church. So, I promised we'd have an update. That brings us to this idea about transition right this transition as we look forward we want to move and uh, I want to I want to let you know a few things that I feel like that we uh, as a leadership team a direction we feel like we need to go Eric when we talked about this he was very excited he said that will make my entry way easier it will be something that's uh, much more uh, helpful we as a church have a vision for what God's called us to do and so we're not uh, asking uh, Eric to come and then take the wheel and then drive us to a new destination, right? We, we, we should have some idea what we're about. We're about the gospel for all people. The Bible's our sole authority. We're growing in our faith all the time, unified in our fellowship. We're praying, we're worshiping, we're sending. That's who we are as a church. And so we don't need someone to come and give us a new destination, but we do need people to come along continually and help us. And so uh, here's kind of the way that we feel that it will, that it will pan out, right? So we feel the Lord... When you feel like the Lord's giving you direction, and then it's July, and I'm already gone and Eric's not here yet, what are you going to do about that idea? How do you work it out in the, pro in the time that moves forward? I really hope that these next few minutes will help you see. If we have six teams, this is where we feel like we need to go, six teams for uh, our structure, prayer. This would be praying for our church, praying for each other, praying for people who are outside our doors engagement right we we want to be engaged with the people around us in our community how do we connect with people that are interested in being connected with us and how do we connect with our community we give hampers at holidays or how are we just being a blessing what are we doing online and, and any of these kinds of things right we have facebook we have instagram with different ways that people ought to be able to find us fellowship fellowship would include food but it's way more than food churches uh have a tough time about this we think we fellowship because we have a donut together. But we have fellowship when we have a donut together. And then when someone says to us, hey, how is your quiet time going? That's fellowship. That's like real fellowship. When someone says, what's your life actually like? What are you reading? How are you growing? How are you different this year than you were last year? How are you more like 
Christ. Uh, this would be welcoming new people, right? Growing together and just all sorts of things like that. Worship. Our Sunday morning services. Who's singing? Who's playing? Who's part of that? What are we singing? All those kind of things. Education. Who are we, what are we teaching? When are we teaching? How are we teaching? These different kinds of groups. And then our last one is stewardship. Like what happens when, when the, the offering goes around and you put your uh, tithe into it, what happens next? Right? We want to be good stewards from that point. How is it counted? How is it accounted for? What's it look like in the budget? How are we spending it? Who are we giving it to? How are we blessing the community? All these different kinds of things. How are we being accountable for what God has provided for us? And so ideally with the six teams, we would have a person who leads each one of those teams and then have some people that serve alongside them in areas that are connected to that ministry. So for example... For example, right? We might have worship, and if, if Tina was to be our leader of that team, right? This, this is for example. Tina's not signed up for a job yet at this point. But to say for example, for example, that she has. And under kind of that category, that idea of Sunday morning worship, we have singers, right? So that means we would probably need someone who has some idea about who is singing, because I'll be honest with you. I think church and worship is different than other places. Over the years, I've met lots of people who are great musicians who had no business playing in a church. Or they were incredible singers, but they had no business leading worship. So for me, the, the point of the team is to point people to Christ. And if you come out every week saying, man, she is good, then I think that's a problem, Right? I don't want to be distracting in the way that you come out every week thinking, whoo, golly, that was painful. Then that's also not good, right? We want to find that sweet spot sort of in the middle. So who is, who, who are the singing? Who are the people who are playing, right? And so, so someone would come and say, uh, I, I can sing. And then we would say, okay, you have a leader that sort of works that out. The musicians, the visuals, this kind of thing like this, right? Who's putting the PowerPoint? So some of these would have uh, multiple people on it. There's going to be, I don't know, what it, maybe let's say there's going to be eight singers that are part of that. But the PowerPoint, that, that could just be one person, right? Maybe, maybe it's two or three. And then the tech and the audio, uh, who understands how the system works and who understands uh, how it needs to be taken care of and who understands uh, where the batteries come from because they don't just, batteries don't just exist on that shelf, right? So when the batteries die, someone has to buy batteries and put them there, and that's what that person does, right? So those are the kind of things. So Tina would be leading that overall and is saying, uh, if we run out of batteries, then Tina's able to say, why are we out of batteries? And she knows exactly who is supposed to be doing that. It's that person, right? Why are, why are we out of batteries? How did that happen? Why don't we have batteries up here? And so we have people that are working together uh, in that. We have musicians that are coming, and they have their... Uh, play. Someone uh, wants to play, right? And so maybe Lee would be our first point of contact about that. And then they would say, uh, I can play. I can play the box drum or I can play guitar or I can uh, whatever. I can play the saxophone. Is there a place for that? And then they would talk to Lee about that, for example. And then Lee and Tina would talk and then it would move up. That's kind of the way that it would look. Then we'd have education. I would say of these things, the only place that I feel extremely strong that an elder has to lead it, it has to be education. The elders give an account for what is being taught to the church. And so there, there are places, right? 
uh, Shabbos has a struggle with me about this a lot of times because we'll be, uh, we're having a baptism next week. Baptism comes with lunch. Lunch comes with the menu. Menu comes with someone who's preparing all of that. And that stuff falls really well under fellowship. And I'm just not a foodie. And so I find myself sometimes people are needing information from me. And I think, I wish someone else was in charge of this. Because in a very real way, I don't care what we eat. Right? If we have pizza, or if we have hamburgers, or we have a rice, or we don't eat at all. I just don't, I don't care, right? I'm there to have the baptism for us to fellowship and us to hang out together. Food really facilitates that. But man, I hate to make those kind of decisions about, like, what, should we have grape drink or orange drink? He didn't ask me that, but people have in the past. Have grape or orange, and I think, I can't believe I'm having this conversation. I don't care what you, just a drink. We need to have drinks, right? But I do think elders need to be in charge there. So what are we teaching in Sunday school? Uh, we have really, we have a, a great team of people that volunteer and help with Sunday school, but we have not done a good job training or preparing them to know, here's what you're actually trying to accomplish. It's not just, we don't want it to just be childcare. So we, sh- we have a lot of room to grow in that area. How can we help people really understand the, the goal of what we're doing in Sunday school and youth ministry, uh, adult Bible studies, all those kind of things. That's what education might look like. Prayer, these are not things that you're going to be surprised about. But uh, just the kind of things that we pray about before the offering or when uh, previously, many of you won't remember this, but we had a sheet and we'd fill it out every month and we would say week one, we're praying for these five families. Uh, or on Monday, we pray for these five families. Tuesday, we pray for these five families. And again, that's one of those things that because I haven't produced it, we haven't done it. And that, that's, that's on me. It's a, it's a problem. That's, a, that's my administrative problem. But it's, it's something that we could be doing a lot better. Sending prayers, right? When we send our families out, we want to pray for them well. And we support some missionaries in the Philippines. We support the Christmas. And how are we praying for them? And how are we making those kind of decisions? Right? That's engagement. We talk about missionary support, giving away hampers. Uh, what are we doing online? These kind of events we can have in the community that we can be part of. Promotion, evening training, all those different kinds of things that happen in engagement. Fellowship, right? family ministry stuff, a welcome team. We talk about this sometimes, that the people who are here at 10 till 10 tend to be the worship team who's practicing and visitors. And then our people come in later, right? And so we have people who come for the very first time. They sit alone, and uh, actually a lot of our Filipinos are here early making coffee, and depending on what the grab situation is, right? right? If you can get a car. Uh, but how do we welcome people, and how do we connect with them, and how do we let them know what's going on, and how we follow up with them, and all those uh, kinds of things, right? Those are, those are important. And then stewardship stuff, right? Banks, bank and account business, and who... Who's in charge of signing this? Who's in charge of producing reports? Who's in charge of making sure the audit gets done? These are all things that we need to be doing a lot better. It was easy when it was Anthony and me, and especially when we lived across the street from one another, right? I could just walk over and say, here's this, here's that, here's the, he'd say, I need a thousand ringgit to pay for the rent, and I would take it over, and whatever. We had those, but we're bigger than that. We're bigger than that now. We just need to spread this load just a little bit. So what are we asking you to do? We're asking you to help, right? Whether you're going to be here short-term or long-term. And we do understand, uh, because in a, in a sense, we're, we're counting our weeks down, but we're not counting our weeks down because we're so necessarily so excited about leaving. But we are counting our weeks down because we're thinking, how do we maximize the time that we have in these, these remaining 10 weeks 
How do we do everything that we need to do in these 10 weeks and not get sidetracked doing things that we don't need to do during these 10 weeks? And so short-term or long-term, God's got you here, and I think that you're here for a purpose. And so we have, speaking of helpful visual aids, and why I need someone helping with visual aids, we have these almost totally blank sheets. And we have some pens and pencils. I just sharpened these pencils, so please do not poke your eyes out with these pencils. They're the sharpest pencils in the whole world. I don't have any data in the back that So here's what's on the sheet, basically. A place for you to serve, that you would serve and make a difference. So you would say, here's my name, here's my contact. So if you say, I want you to WhatsApp me, then we need your phone number, right? If you say, I want you to email me, then we need your email. And then just, I would like you to think about a couple of places if you'd say on those on those teams probably my first choice would be prayer my second choice would be stewardship then put that down prayer and stewardship those would be my first two choices I'm willing to serve in one of those places I feel like God has gifted me to lead in one of those places we may not need everyone that that says I can lead or maybe we don't need you to lead the worship, but we do need you to lead the singers, right? There, so there's going to be lots of opportunities to be part of that. And I would love for you to be prayerful about it. So I do want to give you a minute to think about that. But I know that if, if I ask you to prayerfully think about it through the week, that when you come in next Sunday and open your Bible, it will fall out, folded up in the same spot that it was that it was in. So if you're willing, we would love to have you fill that, fill that out for us. It, it may be that you feel like you're like these are not things that you've that you've done before. But we used to say all the time, we never started a church before, right? When it was ten of us, fifteen of us. 20 of us, we would say, none of us have ever started a church before. And here we are, God's using us to start a church. And here we are moving through this place now where we're going from being kind of a, where we went from being a church start to this really healthy, established church that's moving on through generations of leadership. Maybe just because you've never done it before doesn't mean that you can't do it. God, God can work through us. And so let's please be praying that God would do things that we can't believe, that he's doing things that seem impossible, but that he's working through us so that many people in our community in Malaysia, around Southeast Asia, have an opportunity to hear and understand the gospel so they can believe it. They have to hear it. They have to understand it so they can believe it and be changed by it. All right? So I will, uh, yes. Well, let's pray together and we can stay and, and answer questions and talk about these things. Again, if you uh, want to be part of our baptism next Sunday, I need to talk to you today. I need to talk to you today. Uh, the plan for this will be, if you've not been part of it before, we will have worship. We will finish. At the end of worship, we will drive to uh, Ludong Heights. We will have baptism together. We will have Lord's Supper together. We will have lunch together in uh, Lyle and Rita's house. Is that correct? You said, let's talk about it. And then I felt like you were committed when we were talking about details. Now Lyle and Rita are deeply committed. 
all these people are showing up at their house. If you give us some idea that will help us plan the food, if you say, we're going to go, maybe you can just put that in the WhatsApp group, uh, count on us. So we'll just finish worship straight over to Lyle and Rita's. We'll have baptism, uh, Lord's Supper together, lunch, and then uh, we'll help clean up their house, and then we'll, then we'll move on after that. All right? Let's pray, and then we can fellowship some more. Father, we, we do thank you for uh, these stories that we see in Scripture where you did something that, um, Lord, I find um, unexpected. But somehow these believers there in Joppa, uh, in Peter's life, they, they didn't find it so uh, unbelievable. They, they at least thought to ask. And so I pray that you would help us to be people who think to ask for the um, amazing things to be done in our midst. We pray that you would uh, bless as we seek to minister, Lord, more to one another and more to our community. We pray that the name of Christ would be glorified in all these things, Lord, that uh, not that uh, leaders or churches or anything would become famous, but that the name of Christ would be lifted up. And Lord, we, we feel like this is a picture of what heaven's supposed to be like, all these different languages and cultures and tribes uh, and histories coming together in one body. And so we pray that you would help us uh, as we do that, to love one another, to prefer one another, to serve one another in a way that is a real testimony to our community. So we uh, pray, praise you for uh, the work that you're doing. Thank you again for uh, Elliot's safe arrival this week. Lord, we pray for others who are traveling with breaks. Uh, we pray for those who are sick. We pray, God, for uh, just we have a good friend that's facing surgery tomorrow, open heart surgery, and so we pray that, or bypass surgery, we pray that you would be merciful to Todd and to Maria, and we ask for healing there. And Lord, other needs, all of us have these needs, and so we lay them at you. We cast our anxieties on you because we know that you care for us. And so we pray that you would bless and go with us through the week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.